saying amen just to make sure everybody was awake because uh, <laughs> maybe somebody had fallen asleep that that can happen that can uh, happen sometimes we fall asleep uh, during prayer time so uh, I am Christian I have been uh, talked about before but now I'm here <laughs> so hello everyone uh, we're in a sermon series in uh, in Matthew and so we'll keep going uh, and we're going to keep talking about what Matthew been talk- has been talking about the whole time He'll continue to explain who Jesus is, and in the very first sentence in uh, in Matthew, he says, "We can just jump there." He says, "The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham." And so, Christ is not Jesus's last name; it's his title. So this is what Matthew is trying to tell everyone that would read his book is that Jesus is the Christ. The Christ, the coming Messiah, the Savior. And this is what Matthew is telling everyone throughout the whole book and we'll continue to that uh, as we go. Uh, and then maybe I uh, maybe I should have done more last week uh, uh, because we're kind of li- we're kind of in the uh, we're kind of con- continue the same thing as we talked about last week. Uh, but I will t- I read the text for us, and then uh, then we'll come into it. And I titled it this time. I titled it "Someone Greater Is Here." Uh, Jesus has been interacting with the Pharisees and the scribes because they said that his the spirit in him was a demon, and he gave these very harsh words, but also some very encouraging words. Um, but let's read, and we read today from twelve. Chapter 12, 33 through 45. So Jesus will will say, Either make the tree and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of wipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the hearts the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure bring forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I'll tell you on the day of judgment, people will give an account on every careless word that they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Then some of the scribes and the Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. But the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. 
When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places, seeking, seeking rest, but finds none. Then it says, I will turn to my house from which I came, and I will... And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself. And then the end enter and dwell there, and the last state of that person is worse than the first. So it will be with this evil generation. Amen. So we see... Jesus continuing this interacting interaction that he had with the Pharisees last week and uh, going at them saying like you are actually evil you're the ones who are evil you're calling me evil but the spirit that's in you seems to be evil because you actually also want to kill me and you have rejected God and you continue to reject God and so then then fr- from last time we talked about uh, the verse that's scary to someone that the sin against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven and we talked through that and if you have questions you can come and talk and we won't do it again but also the very encouraging part that is just before that that's what we come together to celebrate that even though people as Paul and people as us that and Peter who denied Jesus and has blasphemed against God actually can be forgiven because Jesus says that that sin against God and sin against the son of man can be forgiven so that's the great hope that we can still bring in with us but also for the people he keeps speaking to these scribes and Pharisees this is I'm going to say I was supposed to say it later but it's really something that strikes me so much in going through Matthew is how many times Jesus speaks the good news to his enemies. These people are wanting to kill him. But he continues to explain. He continues to explain. And he, he lives out what he, what he himself said in Matthew 5. Love your enemies. Like I think it's just so striking that even today he's going to give them the biggest sign ever. Not the one they want. But he's going to talk about his resurrection for the first time in Matthew. And so if they would just listen, they get so many chances to get to know who he is. And there's a challenge every time when we get to Matthew five forty-three, like it was it was the day it was the it was the verse of the day this week. <laughs> and I was like, okay. And then I come outside and I have an opportunity to do something and I'm like, I guess I shouldn't do that today. <laughs> I should be loving my enemy and praying for them instead. Um, so it's good to be reminded of, but it's it's challenging. Or at least for me it's challenging. Maybe it's easy for you. But we see it lived out so, so, ex- so powerfully by Jesus. He has harsh words for them, no doubt. He confronts them and they confronts the evil in them and the evil spirit that they have in them and how they want their own kingdom instead of the kingdom of God. But in his words, he's also inviting them to, to actually see what the kingdom of God is and not their kingdom. That they could get to know God through him 
instead of keeping, rejecting him. And so he uses this illustration of a good tree and a bad tree. And when we come to these agricultural <laughs> things, I am uh, sometimes way out of my understanding because I grew up in the suburbs. We, I, I mean, we did have a garden, but my parents weren't really, they weren't big, uh, big gardening people. So I have not grown up with lots of trees and different things like that. So some of the time I'm like, uh, what does this actually mean? But I've read other places in the Bible and it talks about trees. And so at some point there's a, a farmer, he wants to cut down a tree. Uh, the owner wants to cut down a tree. And he says to the the, the gardener, says, no, no, let's just dig around it, put mature manure on it and give it another chance. So something about trees is also how they're treated and how is the fruit good? What what kind of ground is it in? So be so for for us and for them to be able to bring forth good fruit, they have to be grounded in something good in the kingdom of God and not their own kingdom. Because what comes out of being grounded in Jesus and in the kingdom of God would be good fruit. But with the Pharisees and the people that rejected God, it would be bad fruit. And Jesus even, he's, he's very clear. We live in an age, people were, when we live in an age and a time where people, are at least here in the Western world, they don't want to really want to talk about what's evil. Uh, they, most people say nothing's really evil, evil except, except Hitler and Saddam Hussein. They're probably maybe evil. But, but here it's very clear that Jesus has confronted them their thoughts, their motives are evil. And also the what comes out is evil because what they're filled with comes out. And then he calls them for the second time, for the second for the second time in Matthew he calls them a brood of vipers. And so last time I researched it, because it's not really, we don't, I don't know, in Denmark, we don't really use that term anymore, like you bunch of snakes. Uh, it's not maybe modern or popular anymore. So it's more, um, <laughs> it's a saying when you want to point out that somebody is uh, is doing something man- manici- uh, maliciously or evil. So it's pointing out that somebody is evil. Um, it also sounds kind of cool maybe we should bring it back but I don't know Um, so then Jesus points again out that evil heart and then then he comes to a point that um, that has struck me also and also from the Proverbs where and also James and lots of things that our words actually do matter. Our words matter a lot. Our words have the ability to build one another up or to tear one another down. We have the ability to worship God and bring him praise or to slander and cut somebody down. And Jesus connecting what they said last week. He pulls out what they said and said, every careless word will be judged. So somebody like me, 
but also you, we're held accountable for what we say. We're, ca- we're held accountable for the times where, we, oh, it was just for fun. Yeah, but if you hurt that person deeply, it wasn't really fun. And also just like in this case, like we talked about last week, they probably just came up with this. You know, like let's just say he casts like let's just say he casts out demons with the power of the Prince of Demons. Like they just they just wanted something to say. And so Jesus is saying, You do know you just did a horrible thing, probably unforgivable thing. Should that be you should you should be thinking about what you're saying. Some of us speak more <laughs> than others. But that's something that sometimes when I'm thinking about it, it was like, well, is it actually helpful to say something? Will this actually be something good? Will, it, will this be helpful for the person? And this is not like you always have to say something good because that could also be wrong. You come and say to people, oh, I love your hair, it looks so great, and it looks terrible. And then you'll be like, hey, you're going to be judged for that. No. Like, what I'm saying is that it's not just vain flattery, because that's also careless. It's speaking the truth, but not in a harsh, condemning way, but in a way that Jesus would speak the truth, the truth in love. So not lying, not saying the things that don't that aren't true. And then one thing that actually <coughs> is a theme throughout the Gospels as well, and also in the Old Testaments. By your own your words, you will be justified. By your own words, you will be condemned. Remember the parable of the uh, um, of the dis- uh, of the talents so the 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 last man who buries his talent he says i knew you were unjust man and you reap where you didn't sow and then the guy says you knew that and you didn't do anything you're condemned by your own words you knew what i expected but you didn't do it and in other times where people are confronted with their own words we will be confronted with our own words. And in this section, the Pharisees are definitely going to be confronted by their own words because they are callous, mean, evil. So we have to think about it a lot. And it's this big theme in the Bible that the tongue is something that is set a blaze of fire. And as also, as James said, we have, we have conquered to tame animals, but the tongue is very difficult to tame. So just a reminder of like, we're here to encourage one another towards Jesus. Not to slander other people and not to cut people down. Not just to say things we don't really mean, but actually weigh what we say. It's like, okay, is it, will this be encouraged from them? Which is with, will this be an encouragement? Will this be what is would fall on a, a dry place? Because we can build one another up with the words that we speak. And we can also remind each other about who Jesus is and help one another there. We can also, as we talked about in the beginning, not have careless words when we pray, but we can weigh them and we can say to God, I I ask that you lead me in my prayer when I pray for the different people. 
So Jesus has confronted these Pharisees with their words and what they say. So, of course, now they will fall to their knees and repent and say, you are the Son of God. No, they won't. <laughs> if you, in case you didn't know, they won't. But instead they, will, instead, they will ask something different. And it's also kind of an odd and strange request because we started the whole section out with Jesus doing a miracle where he cast out a demon. So he's just done that. He's just done a sign. But then the Pharisees come and say, Teacher, we, ask, we wish to see a sign. And then I was just going through, but it came too many. I went through Matthew, and just on every other page, Jesus has done something. This is not because this is not because these people. Uh, uh, let me let me bring in an old an old guy. Oh, that was another one. I, th- I think that's also good, but this is the this one. He explains a little bit about of signs and about answered prayers. Though Christ is always ready to hear and answer holy sighs and prayers, yet those who ask amiss ask and have not. That's what uh, James talks about also. Signs were granted to those who decide to confirm their faith as Abraham and Gideon, but benign, <coughs> denied to those who demanded them to excuse their unbelief. <laughs> The resurrection of Christ from the dead by his own power called here the sign of the prophet Jonah was the greatest proof of Christ being the Messiah. So so in the first part, these people come, but they don't want him to do a sign so they can believe. They want him to not be able to do a sign so they can accuse him. They are full of unbelief and they don't want him to do a sign because he has done plenty of signs and he had it's kind of like weird because he has just done one and they accused him of it not being a sign that he did it by evil power so now they ask him well you did that but now you have to do another one but what about the healing of the paralytic what about the healing of the lady with uh, 12 years of bleeding what about the raising the the, the, the 12 year old uh, um, girl from the dead like there's so much proof but there's no willingness there's no room in their hearts to believe. And this is the part that astonishes me, just like the commentary I also said. is like, but what's Jesus going to be? Like, he just called them a brood of snakes. And then he's like, no, I'm not giving you a sign, except I'm giving you the sign of Jonah. As he was in the fish, the Son of Man, which is Jesus, titled for himself, will be in the earth three days. Now, this is, of course at this point in time very obscure for these people <laughs> first of all they have to remember back to Jonah what did Jonah do he was in the fish then he was spit out and then he went and preached so for them they don't see like okay how the son of man like Jonah like how all this fit together but for us looking back this is amazing he says he's not going to give them a sign but he's going to give them a clue of the biggest sign ever but first he's going to draw their attention to what Jonah did. Jonah did, went to Nineveh, a uh, Nineveh, uh, uh, big place uh, known for their violence, 
known for the evil works all over the area uh, about how how brutal they were by their captive enemies. They had this thing where they would bury the enemies in the in the sand, and they just the head would stick up, and they will die from the exposure. And they at that time that was something that people were proud of, so they would actually make it on before you went into the king. It would be like. Uh, pictures of that, not pictures, but wood things on the wall, so you can see how powerful the king is. So they're known for their their ruthlessness and evilness, and they also oppressed the people of God. Jonah doesn't want to go there, but he does anyway. After being swallowed by a fish and spit out again, and he goes and he holds a very short sermon, and he goes and hopes that God will kill him, <coughs> but he doesn't, because these pagan evil people. They repent and say, we have done wrong against God. The pagans who don't know God, they listen to the preaching. Can you see the contrast again? (laughs) The religious leaders of the time doesn't want to listen to the preacher who's there. But the people from Nineveh that was far from God chose to listen to Jonah. And then, and then the, then also Jesus as Jesus adds that the queen of Sheba also, that she also comes from the end of the earth and she's also a foreigner. She comes to hear the wisdom of God through Solomon, and she turns to look for God, another foreigner, who wants to hear about who God is. And he adds them together with the, you remember, the sons for last week that that tore out, that um, exercised demons, that they were going to be their judges. Now he adds on the people of Nineveh and the queen. They will stand there in their judgment and be like, why didn't you repent? Jesus was there. And Jesus is even saying, there's something's bigger than Jonah here. Something's bigger than Solomon is here. Now, what, is, what does all that have to do with you and me? A classical example is that if you grew up in church, or if you didn't grow up in church, you would say maybe something like, well, you know, if I was alive when Jesus was alive, you know, if I could walk around with him, if I could be one of his disciples, then I would believe. Or if I would just get some sign if uh, somebody would be healed or something, then I would believe that God is real and Jesus is my Savior. I would, I, would, I would argue against that logic because we see the opposite in Scripture. I've used it many times, but example is the generation that saw the most signs, they rejected God. They saw the most signs that when they came out of Egypt and saw all the signs, and they still rejected God. The other generation that Jesus is going after are going to see the amazing sign. But many of them will reject him. So if you're out there in here and saying, I just need one thing to believe, one sign or something, it's like, I, I don't think you will believe if you see a sign. Because what kept these people from belief was not that they wanted a sign. It was that there was no room for the Holy Spirit in them to convict them. 
And so if you have questions, that's okay. If you want to ask people questions, that's good. But you're not going to be convinced by a sign. And if you do, what's going to happen next time? Then you'll be hunting for the signs and not the God of all the earth. And this is what we're talking about. Because we can look back and see that Jesus is saying, I'll give you the sign of Jonah. I'll be in the depths of the grave and I will rise again. That's the biggest sign we have now. They didn't even have that when they walked with Jesus. And people who saw Jesus resurrected still doubted. So if we have seen through the 2,000 years the world being, as they said in Acts, the Christian living out their faith, turning the world upside down, and we have that witness, and we have the greatest sign ever that Jesus came, died and rose again, and is coming back, another sign is not going to convince you. You would have to ask, will the Lord soften my heart? Will I soften my heart? What fruit's coming out of me? Do I have a desire to know and love and serve Jesus or will I push him away so I can live for my own kingdom? Jesus calls also this generation an evil an adulterous generation. He points to the people of God who over and over in the history have gone after other gods. The adultery is that the Lord has brought them as his people and they kept whoring after other gods. Jesus is tightening this very hot, he's very bold in saying you're the same because you've rejected God for your own commandments. You're not following God, you're following yourself. You are adulterous. You should repent of your adultery and come back to God. When Jesus is speaking this sermon, and it just like summing up what I said from the beginning, he calls them a brood of vipers. He calls them evil. He calls them bad fruit. He says that they will be judged. Again, the thing we don't like so much in our culture is there's judgment. There's consequences for what we say and what we do. And he says now he, he's brought up a bunch of people that's going to be there in a judgment saying, why didn't you repent? Why didn't you fall, God? But again, like, yes, Jesus seems like so severe, so like pointing to it, but he, he, he keeps showing them the mercy of God because he shows them the way out all the time. So when we're thinking about this, uh, this sermon as though it could seem like very, you have to do this, you have to do this, you have to do this. And God seems so severe and so hard and so judge, judgy. 
it's in his severity and the wrath of God that we also see the mercy of God of how it says that even that, that the sins against the Father and the Son can be forgiven. That all we have to do is turn to him and the sins will be forgiven. This is also an invi- invitation to come and worship Jesus and turn from our own way and try to... Tr- instead of trying to live for our own small kingdom and make that the purpose of our lives, then come and live for God's kingdom instead. Then we come to a very interesting part. And it, th- this part has confused me many times. And I was like, well, maybe you shouldn't pray for deliverance of people because there will just be seven more people or seven more demons that will uh, uh, occupy this person. And so I was just thinking and reflecting on this. This is now... This is taking everything back to where we started. So this man was was possessed by a demon that made him mute and made him uh, deaf. Now Jesus is going to talk about it's not enough to get the demon taken out. Something else has to rest- has something else have to fill that. Or you or the person's going to end up in a seven times worse. And seven in the Bible is like completion, so it's going to be really, really worse. And so I think what I was thinking as we were going through, or as I was thinking through this, is that it's what happens when we continue to reject God. It's a hardness of heart. As Jesus continues to invite them, he's describing the state of the Pharisees and the Pharisees' hearts. That that they continue to reject him and reject him and reject him. Their state would just get worse and worse and worse and worse. Even in their own life. Not just when they get judged, but even in their life. It's the human heart that continues to reject God. And also... (laughs) This is also tricky. Like, so Jesus has healed the man, but if the man's going to continue to go back to what he came from, there's nothing in him to keep that out. So, if we talked about the fruit, we talked about your evil inside, we talked about those things, then the man will go out. But if he will go back to what he did before, then his latter state would be worse than the first if he didn't accept who Jesus was and be filled by God but he would if this man would go along with the Pharisees to live for his own kingdom he would be even worse off because he had seen the power of God to cleanse him and heal him but then still go and reject him and again it's like Again, even in the severity of this, it, it, it is the consequences of people's action that Jesus is pointing out. But it doesn't have to be that way. They can, come, they can repent and follow Jesus, follow God again. Stop doing their own rules. Jesus had already, when, when Lee spoke, he'd already said, break off those yokes of all those rules come and take my rules on and follow me instead into the kingdom of God instead of all those other rules 
living for all sorts of other people's kingdoms. So it's like the, Jesus is like, stop running away. Like you're, he like he says to them, like you are, you are, you're doing all the right things outward. You're very religious. You're do, you're like, uh, he said, called them whitewashed tombs at some point also. And he also says like you you tithe like small things. So you're doing all these rules, but you don't. You've rejected who God is. So if that's you growing up in church, you've done all the rules, but you really don't know Jesus because your righteousness in what is in what you did. Then it's also a call for you to come. No, no, it's, it's Jesus' work that sets you free to serve him. So what is it? So what was that passage about? Those trees. There was <laughs> trees that has to be good. There's some signs about Jonah. Some of G- Jesus saying something bigger than Jonah's there. Something bigger than than Solomon's here. It's Jesus saying to them, saying, "Hey, the consequences of your words, your actions, they actually have consequences." And if you are evil, the deeds will be evil. But I'm asking you to do something different. Different. I'm asking you to stop being evil. I'm asking you to repent from your own seeking, your own kingdom, and come and follow God. And then he gives them, uh, and I know it's veiled, I know it's very difficult, but he does give them the first small piece of, I'm going to give you the biggest sign ever. I'll die and rise again. So we see the severity of God that evil will be punished. But we also see His grace and mercy that if we will stop following our own kingdom and follow Him, we can be adopted into His family. We can have our sins forgiven and we can be filled with something. The Holy Spirit, His own presence so that all we our state won't be a hard-hearted one, but a soft-hearted one. And our state will be a lot better than an empty one, or even one filled and oppressed by evil spirits or our own evil wills following our own way. So we see the kindness and the severity of God. That it will be judgment, but there's, there's a chance for freedom. And that's why I said... Why is that true? Well, that's the sign you've seen in history. That from the, uh, from the, when they turned, when people loving Jesus have, have lived it out, they've changed societies. They have changed, like it was said, they turned the world upside down. And it's been happening the last 2,000 years as they lived out the teaching of Jesus. It's not like um, just upward. It's gone up and down. People forget God throughout the time. But that was for you, unbeliever. For you, the believer, you are so blessed. Like Steve was saying, anything. Let us remind ourselves of how blessed we are. That we are in the kingdom of God. 
and Jesus is our teacher. He's teaching, and we, and we can rejoice, and we can rejoice, and we can be filled with His presence, with His grace, and we can wonder in His grace and mercy as He's laid down His life for us, as we have the blessed hope He's coming back, restoring all things. We take on His joke, and we follow Him into abundant life. We reject our own kingdom and follow Jesus in His kingdom. That's what we ask. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your grace and mercy and love towards us. Thank you, Lord. You are a God who is an amazing, all-knowing, all-powerful. Your ways are different than ours. We don't always understand, or we don't understand all the things that you do. But Lord Jesus, I thank you that that in the plan of you, Trinitarian God, you made a way for us to be forgiven. You made a way for us to stop following our own kingdom, to have you cleanse us, to have you heal us, to have us have you come and live in us as we as we seek your kingdom instead of our own. And so I ask that you do that for anyone who wants to follow you to stay that this would be a day that people would turn and say no this is, I want to do this I want to follow you Jesus I ask that you do that Holy Spirit here among us ask for you to work wonders in us as well who believe because sometimes maybe it gets too familiar but I, would, I pray you would create wonder and awe of how awesome you are and how amazing you are in all the things that you do and you just today Jesus I thank you that you struck up all in me that you're so kind to your enemies. And we're thankful because we were your enemies. So we thank you for your kindness and grace towards us. We pray you would help us to live it out as well. So pray you would rejoice and, and be glad in who you are. I pray that we will be seeking your kingdom first. So we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. And uh, you may rise for the benediction. Today we are going to do it from Thessalonians 5. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirits. Do not despise prophecy. Do not, but test everything and hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Amen. And so don't run away. Uh, I'd love to say hello to you. And also, Martha and Michael has made dinner. So come and join us. <laughs>